Welcome to A Friend of Mine, a series of conversations with some incredible and inspiring women in business from regional and rural Australia. I'm Kimberly Finesse, your host and the founder and editor of Oak Magazine, and I cannot wait to introduce you to some amazing female entrepreneurs who will share with you their experience and knowledge of what it takes to start, grow and scale a successful business. So let me introduce you to a friend of mine. Normally, I'd be introducing you to our next guest, but this episode is a little different. To celebrate three years of Oak Magazine and a season of this podcast, I thought it would be a great idea to introduce you to my story. Now, it's not very conversational or enjoyable to listen to one voice. So I brought along a special guest and a friend in every sense of the word. Say hello to my friend, Marty Holland. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to have you here. <laughs> I'm excited to yes, be here. Yes, uh, feels good to turn the table. I hope you still feel that at the end of the interview, <laughs> that we're still friends. We'll still be friends. Uh, now, I thought just to kick us off, though, it would be really lovely to get to know you first. So, yeah, I'm just going to quickly spin it back around. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, so, yeah, could you share a little bit about yourself, Marty? Because you have had a very interesting career journey from journalism to Japan, to secondary school teacher. Yeah, it has a completely different direction to where I first thought I would end up, but this is where I am. Um, so grew up in a small country town, uh, Narracourt in South Australia, and I was there until I was 17 and then went to university at Charles Sturt University in Bathurst. So that was a big step because it was 12 hours away from home. Studied broadcast journalism when I was there, which I really loved. Coming out of that, I had the choice of a journalism job at um, Win News in Mount Gambier, or I got offered um, a sort of graduate position with a federal member of parliament, decided to take that, had a brilliant year, like such a good role model. She just really set me on a really good path. Um, met my now husband when I was in Adelaide and he was in Melbourne. So then the next big choice, my life's been full of crossroads of do I go left or do I go right? Uh, the next big one was um, there was an outstanding job in Sydney that I could have gone to um, and worked with a minister in the federal government then as their media advisor or gone to Victoria and to Melbourne to be with Steve, my husband, and with a lower level uh, federal politician, but you know, a good startup sort of thing. So decided to follow my heart and went there and absolute career wise, worst decision I've oh. ever made. Mm. Um, she was just a tyrant and it got to the point that I was crying on my way to work and crying on my way oh. home from work. Um, just lost all self-confidence. The job came up in Japan to go and teach. So I went, yep, let's do it. Went overseas, taught, loved it, came back, went to China, taught, loved it, came back, did my dip ed um, in uh, TESOL, so teaching English as a second language and just found where I wanted to be and working with students from a refugee background and just absolutely loved it. So, yeah, and so now I'm a teacher up at Bendigo Senior. Um, I'm the coordinator of the VCAL program up there and, yeah, just really enjoying being there and helping others. 
Wow. Yeah. Wow. I feel we should be telling your story. (laughs) Now, look, the reason I have asked you to interview me is because of that journalism background. I thought you might want to dip your toe back in. (laughs) And when we catch up as a group, you're always the one to keep the conversation running by asking questions. And I'd have to say they're not questions that, that make people feel uncomfortable by any means. They're not intrusive, but they're questions that make you feel like someone wants to hear your story or someone wants to hear what you have to say. And I think that's what we all want, isn't it? Just someone to listen to us. We want to be heard. We want to be valued. Yep, absolutely. So I thought, what the heck, I'll put myself (laughs) in that vulnerable position where everyone can hear (laughs) it's outside our little closed circle. Um, And yeah. Here we go. I suppose welcome Marty the podcast host. It's all yours now. <laughs> Thank you very much. All right, we'll start off very easy then. There oh, are good. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Lots of different words that I think of when I think of you. That you're strong, that you're brave, that you're passionate. Um that you're genuine. Everything you do is from such a good spot and and decisive too and I love that about you. How would you describe yourself? You just said we're going to start off easy. <laughs> that is not easy. <laughs> you so, can do it. You can yeah, do it. I can do this. Okay. Um, I think those words that you've used are definitely ones that I'd like, yeah, to associate myself with. Um, one that I'd love to put in there would be resilient. And I think that comes from both personal and professional experiences. So, you know, when there's a setback or a hurdle, i do actually find myself trying to get back up, trying to find another way through a fence. So not always over, but how can I get through? (laughs) Um, Yeah. And I'm actually really proud of that. It's really served me well. I think over the last few years as a business owner, Um, I would agree with that word strong in a front facing way. Uh, I like to present a really strong, capable, independent persona um, even though behind it I could just be filled with self-doubt and a bundle of tears and um, yes I'm passionate very passionate about certain topics and themes and yeah I am decisive with things that I do Marty yep it it, it doesn't matter whether it's the right or wrong decision it's like I'm just going to have a crack and we're going that way but you know but equally moves you forward and gets done what needs to be done yep definitely yep so we both agree that you're a strong woman being perceived as a strong woman can be can lead into being called sort of bossy or even bitchy. Um, I hate the word bossy because particularly when it's related to the younger generation, like our daughters, I just think that that's an unnecessary word. You wouldn't be called that if you were a boy. Boys that are making decisions and taking on a leadership role never get called bossy. So... Have you found that your strength is held against you? Yes, I would say so. Yeah. And maybe not using the labels bossy or bitchy straight to my face, but, you know, little underhand comments. I like to unpack things as well. So say we're in a meeting um, and someone's put forward a concept um, and given that I have a marketing comms background, like, you know, we're talking about campaigns, I'll unpack it. And I'll ask questions, well, why would you like to do it this way? Why is that appropriate for that audience? How do you know that? Do you know what I mean? Like I just, I'm not doubting that person. I probably just want to know why you're doing that and asking the questions. And I don't think 
people are comfortable with being questioned sometimes. Um, look, I could probably use more pleasantries and I could <laughs> probably adjust the tone of my voice. <laughs> uh, and I think that sometimes, you know, maybe that's what can come off as bitchy, just straight down the line. Do you think you would be questioned or have this self-doubt if you were a male? No, absolutely not. I, I believe if I was a male and had the same traits that I have now and have followed the same career path, I would be in a management or an executive director role. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I actually have no doubt about that. No doubt. That makes me angry thinking about that right now. Yeah. <laughs> so, so why aren't you? What is it? What are the barriers, do you think? I think, first and foremost, female mm -hmm. is a barrier. Um, I think being a mum is a barrier and being emotional. Do you know what I – like I am – you know, when you say passionate, I think emotion comes into being passionate about things as well. Emotional to me, that's another word like bossy, gets mm. seen as a negative. I, I'm emotional and I've learnt that that's a good thing about me. That is what makes me who I am is being emotional. It's not, you know, when people say, oh, you're so emotional, it shouldn't be a degrading thing. It should be a, yes, I am. I'm in touch with my emotions. I can get through that. It shouldn't yeah. be held as a yeah. negative. You have more capacity to connect, yes. I think, if you have emotion yes. within you. I do remember, interestingly enough, um, really early on having the kids. So I'd go into a job and actually wouldn't tell them that I had kids. Wow. You know, I'd leave that off and I'd come home and I'd tell David about the interview or at work and he's like, are you ashamed of this? Why aren't you talking about your family? And I said, because it can be held against me. Mm. You know, it's just something that I don't talk about. And it's so interesting that years later, he's come back up with that point because, you know, now he's in a corporate workforce. Yeah. And he said to me one day, he said, I can understand why you don't actually mention it now. I said, yep. I said, because people will bring that up as a, a point. Well, she's got kids, they're in daycare or early primary. She'll only be able to work, you know, nine till three. They'll always be sick. Do you know what I mean? I don't care what anyone says, but when you're sitting on an interview panel and they know you have a family, that comes into a deciding factor. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And it's not necessarily verbalized, but it is no. in the mind of, yeah, just remember that. Yep. Yeah. So yep. disheartening. Absolutely. Speaking of in your mind, your brain never switches off. <laughs> I have spent a lot of time with you, whether it be on holidays or just catching up or whatever. How do you look after yourself? I don't look after myself very well. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> My health tells me that some days. Uh, but in terms of switching off, um, what I do to quieten my head, I suppose, is I actually go to the movies because I know that that is two to three hours in the darkness mm -hmm. without my phone. So I'm disconnected from the world and there are no distractions and I can just sit and breathe, I think. That would be what it is. I think my brain gets to breathe. Otherwise, it's just constantly either holding its breath <laughs> or just trying to gasp for air. Um, otherwise, it's a really good book. And do you know what? I just I do wish I was like my husband some days. Um, you know, his whole switch off rebalance time is to exercise. <laughs> yeah, go out that for a run. That would serve yeah. me so well. <laughs> But, you know, um, yeah, I'm a busy little head and I think that would be something that I'd really like to look at next year is to look after my health more. Yeah. It was going to be a 2020 thing, but, 
yeah, life got in the way this year. Oh. <laughs> Such an excuse. <laughs> oh, absolutely. 2020, just write it off and start again. Yeah. Yes. Yep. I see you very much as a role model to our next generation, that you are breaking the glass ceiling. Um, and I, I say that I don't see you on a work front. I see you on a personal level. And I see that happening in the way that my daughter looks at you when you speak. There was a time, uh, it was probably last year, that you were sitting on our couch and you were talking about something as Bella, my eight-year-old daughter, walked by. You were speaking, I can't even remember what it was about, but with such strength and conviction that Bella stopped and looked at you. And she just looked at you and her little shoulders went up straight and her chest came out a little bit and she smiled. And I was just looking at her thinking it was not your words but your attitude that she was picking up on, that she could see that you were believing in something and you were confident to put across exactly what you were thinking. And it was a new perspective for for her. I could see that. And how do you feel knowing you are making that difference? Um, Well, I didn't know that that is the difference uh, that I make and I think that is the ultimate compliment. Um, It's funny how we have this perception of ourselves so our own perception of who we are and I think when you know you're looking from the inside out like I don't see other people especially kids as looking up to me as a role model Um, but if that's how I can be thought of that's amazing and I might just have to walk a little taller and be very mindful (laughs) of my occasional potty mouth Um, and you know I actually don't adjust who I am, you know, depending who I'm around. So I don't have a Kimberly for kids and a Kimberly for adults. Um, But I think that's what stopped Bella in her tracks is that she was looking at you just as a person, not as she's speaking down to me, that this is Kimberly and she is speaking her mind on whatever the topic was and almost gave – you could see her thinking, I've got permission to speak like that too. I don't need to be quiet. I don't need to be reserved. I can say straight out whatever I think. Being a strong female, do you think that's a natural thing for you or a learnt behaviour? I think if you take into consideration my mum and my nana, you would say it's modelled behaviour. And thinking about it, I also had my pa who didn't exclude me from anything, whether that be a conversation or jobs out on the farm. You know, I I was just treated as Kimberly. And it wasn't about a job being for a boy or a girl. And, you know, I think that's played a huge role in who I am. And being direct, clear and just straight up or pointing out when things aren't right or fair, you know, that doesn't help with making friends, especially through, you know, primary and secondary school. And that's the time you need to do everything possible to fit in and not stand out. But now as an adult, like I feel like I have a responsibility to use my voice and I am so glad I found people that welcome, recognize and respect what I have to say, you know, and and even have a laugh at how candor, you know, I can be, which is obviously you guys. (laughs) You know, I think surrounding yourself with people that bring out the best in you and allow you to be what feels comfortable is so important and sometimes really hard to find. Um, You know, it's that feeling of just finding where you fit and 
I suppose, finding your tribe, your community, you know, where you can be your authentic self. And and when you say, I think, I think, I hope that we're laughing with you too, because you're the first one to acknowledge it. We're not laughing at you and holding it against you. No, I think, I'm not oblivious yeah, <laughs> to how yeah, I am. I think, no. Yeah, and that you comment on stuff and we will laugh. But I think it's in, in a very respectful way from me that I wish I could do it more. It's being a, a, a pride thing in you that I have a friend that is so strong and can be unapologetic and stand up for exactly what they believe, which I sort of step back, which, which is probably why I like asking the questions yeah. because I don't like giving my view as much um I would hate for you to think that we're laughing at you because I I don't think that's it at all just saying that Marty takes me back to high school and a teacher asking me are they laughing with you because you're funny or are they laughing at you because they're scared And that still has a profound effect on me. Like I don't ever want to make someone feel uncomfortable um, by being around me or worried about what I'm going to say to them or ask them, you know. And I suppose I realise it was high school and, you know, I was a bit younger then. But I don't know. I just I can't shake that off. But again, would the teacher say that to a male? And, you know, know. and not that it's all about gender inequality. And and I know you've faced that over the years. Hmm. But how do you combat that gender inequality? What can we do? What do you do? I think it's one of the hardest things to do in a work environment. Like what I know is at some point, if more of us speak up and point out when things aren't acceptable, you know, people might actually start to stop and listen, think about their behaviour and hopefully change. I mean, you know, that's what it is. We just, we need all to use our individual voices. So collectively, you know, we're speaking really loud and clear of, I suppose, on topics like gender equality and when things are biased and yeah, when things just aren't right in the workplace. Like I had an experience last year where I did speak out a lot about gender equality in the workplace. Yep. You know, there was so many moments and, um, you know, just it, it didn't work out for me, that, that role. And eventually it was time to leave. And as I was leaving, the CEO asked if he could, you know, leave me with some parting feedback. And of course, I'm like, yes, that would be great. You know, always trying to improve who I am. And the first point was, you show everything on your face. And to be honest, I I probably rolled my eyes at that. (laughs) Um, The second point was you let the little things get to you. And it's like, yeah, but they were little things when I brought them to your attention the first time and the second time and the third time. But when they just go unresolved, they do become an issue. And finally, why are you so hung up about this women in business thing? And oh my God, I just, I just couldn't believe that this was the feedback I was getting. You know, yeah. like in performance appraisals, women will be given feedback on their characteristics and appearance, whereas men will be given feedback on their ability and skills. And then suddenly here I am living this statistic. 
And I mean, look, I probably didn't help myself in that workplace. Um, You know, there was even an event that was coming up and it was an all-male panel and I, you know, just put my hand up and said, hey, do you think we could get at least, you know, one female on this, if not, you know, 50% sort of diverse representation here, you know, and the importance of that. And, you know, the event was about you know, the future of the city. And and here we have four men talking about the future of the city. And anyway, you know, I think a couple of weeks went on and no, can't find anyone. These guys really do want to speak to this topic. Well, yeah, of course they do. Um, and so I just said, well, I can't go, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, outside of this work environment, I would not attend an event that doesn't have gender parity on it so why am I going to change my values just to suit a workplace yeah I probably just continue to dig my grave but you live into your values like you believe in promoting women and you live into that and you build others up you give credit to other women which not all women do where has this come from in you so when I support celebrate, connect, work with women in business or women in general, I get the most amazing feeling. I, I know we talk about empowerment, but I, I really do feel that's what happens. I feel empowered. Like I just get this injection of good karma, good feelings. So there's that side of it. But I think you know, more seriously, again, we're not on a level playing field. And with Oak, so in the last three years, I've really stepped into educating myself about that. And I think when you're educated on that and you know a bit more about it, you can't help be, you know, you can't help but not be passionate about trying to give everyone a leg up or just grabbing some people on your back and going forward. Like that's what you do. You help people. (laughs) And you do that so naturally. Do you feel like you get it back? Do you feel like other women in business and other women around you give you that same support? Uh, Yes, yes. There there are definitely some that do. The latest issue of Oak has just come out. And I must admit, for the first time in the three years, I've really felt that. You know, people shouting that mag out. Um, you know, I've had someone drop gifts off at the home to thank me for their story. Like that actually never happens. But, you know, some of these people have been really generous in, yeah, in recognising that little role I've played in helping them to share their story and promote their business. Um, so, yeah, I I have felt it. That's yeah, great. these last few weeks I really have and um, it feels uncomfortable um, but it feels good as well. You know, it's that little bit of validation that you can go to bed at night and go, I did a good job. I helped someone today and they knew I helped them. That feels good. What's your inner talk? You talk then about going to bed at night. What 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 do you say to yourself? Do you have a mantra or a motto or anything that you live by? What are you saying to yourself in your head that, you know, you come across as so strong and passionate? What What's happening within your head? There's a lot of self-doubt and questioning of whether I'm on the right track, whether I'm investing my time in the right thing, um, you know, whether the magazine's worth investing in uh, because it is financially um, expensive. 
and I feel guilty sometimes for that burden that I put on the family. At the end of the day, I could go out and get a really good job in corporate that pays every week, you know, and there wouldn't be that cash flow issue. So, you know, there is that side of it that I'm always questioning, am I doing the right thing? Um, so having to need those little moments of validation um, is really important to me to keep me back on track. And look, David is so supportive of what I do. You know, he's sort of never said, oh, do you think you should keep going or anything like that? So this is all, as you said, happening, that internal dialogue, the conversations that I'm having with myself um, of, yeah, whether I'm good enough for it. So um, in terms of a mantra, I do have something that I have just stuck to my desk and it's um, just a little proverb and it says, you already possess everything necessary to be great. So when I'm having a hard time doing something or procrastinating or stuck, I just look at that and like, no, I have the skill set. I have the knowledge or at least I have something within me to go and find that answer or source the solution. So, yeah, I think that's for everyone. In us, we've got it. Yeah. Just got to find it some days. Um, but, yeah, I'd probably need to work on that inner self-talk um <laughs> pump myself up a little bit more but I think that's where it comes back to that strong Marty yeah. like yeah just again just presenting that really strong capable independent persona um and then you know behind closed doors at home here where you can just let that guard down you are who you are mm. yeah and your first step into this whole world and I have seen the photographic evidence is you as a model in Cosmo and you uh, you talk about this a bit that that was a defining moment for you not the modeling but no the, I was the, gonna say <laughs> could we use that word really loosely <laughs> the, my gosh it the, was, yeah. the stepping into media and stepping into um a pretty woman dominated field mm. in, in Cosmo um tell us about that yeah, my gosh, that was a dream come true. Absolute dream come true. I was working at the um, Bendigo Advertiser at the time as a sub-editor and journo and um, early, early 20s. And yeah, I had always wanted to work at Cosmo, like always. That was just my dream job. And, you know, had submitted applications a lot and sort of got knocked back for work experience. They really only open it up at the start of the year. They allocate, you know, maybe 50 for the year so one person per week and then that's it so really considering how many people want to get into that industry it's hard really hard I just kept persisting and you know I just changed things up I changed up my resume and made it look like a magazine on the front cover sent it to Mayor Friedman and eventually got a yes and got invited to come outside of work experience to spend a week and so I got my Supre outfit, my new Supre <laughs> outfit, my whole wardrobe. So yeah, went to, to Sydney and I was in the fashion department and I was terrible at that. And I just kept wandering over to like the beauty section where they were laying things out and, um, you know, doing some editing and writing stories. And in the end, I was hanging over there so much. They switched me with the girl that was in there. <laughs> so she went over to fashion, which I think she absolutely loved. And yeah, I stuck over there. I was asked to stay another week which just blew my mind. I said no. Oh. I know. You know those moments in your career that you yep. regret? Yeah. This, this is one of those moments. I said no. Um, I had work commitments and, you know, stupid, naive 21-year-old had a boyfriend and just thought that's, you know, that's your whole life, isn't it, at that time? Um, so I come home and 
that played on my mind for so many years. Imagine if I had stayed. What doors would have opened? Um, You know, where could that have led? And uh, so I came home, quit my job at the newspaper and went and did beauty therapy because I wanted to be a beauty editor. I thought I'd need to be a beauty therapist. (laughs) Marty, I'm always seeking this piece of paper. This is what this actually comes down to as well. I'm just always seeking a qualification. And uh, yeah, and then just life took a weird turn, to be honest. I don't know if it took a weird turn or a 360 or what's happened to it, but I suppose here I am now, you know, not regretting staying because the path that I took led me to my husband, led me to kids. And then, you know, he's Oak. Led to Oak, yes. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, maybe everything did work out for a reason. And I really try to believe that, that things happen for a reason, whether you can't see that at that moment in time. But, um, yeah. So how did studying beauty therapy <laughs> lead into right style communications? I did beauty therapy down in Melbourne. So I got to work at a day spa, which was amazing. I worked with a whole group of women from so many different nationalities and different walks of life. And uh, uh, so really enjoyed that down there. I'd come home for a weekend back to Bendigo, met the husband. <laughs> and um, it's ironically he was living in Melbourne at the same time just over the road pretty much so meant to be meant to be um yeah so we started a family and decided to move back to Bendigo and um yeah that was then me really learning early on that staying at home with the kids or with a kid at that time one kid uh that doesn't really work for me um I need purpose and I find purpose in working so uh yeah I pretty early on went back into the workforce um something came up at Bendigo Health and I knew if I got my foot in that door I could work my way anywhere in that organization so went in via HR and worked in there and then again just kept showing up and showing that I could do writing that I could Um, help with communications Um, obviously got on the radar of the marketing comms team and eventually yeah got myself over there so long story short I moved from Bendigo Health to Bendigo TAFE in their comms marketing team and then eventually uh, took a role part-time in Melbourne which just meant I had time to kill on the commute so I started helping family and friends at first like with their social media um, building websites those sorts of things sort of everything that I'd done previously in a corporate role and yeah that just grew into right style communications. You, you talked about with Cosmo, you know, that you wondered what doors would be open mm. and you just mentioned then about getting your foot in the door. The thing that I love about you is that you open your own doors. You don't wait for other people to say, here, walk through this door. You walk to the door, you put your hand on the handle and you open it. <laughs> and that passion has obviously led to Oak. Yeah. Can you tell us more about oh. that step into Oak magazine? So with my business, Right Style Communications, I was lucky enough to travel around regional and rural Victoria and a bit of New South Wales, delivering social media workshops, primarily for small business owners. And, you know, you'd sort of go into these small group sessions and you'd get to know, you know, these people and you'd hear their remarkable business stories. And, you know, I sort of, it got me thinking like, wow, more people need to know about this. And I suppose there were other parts of the puzzle like, you know, always wanting to work in a magazine and 
I suppose I'd felt that that door had closed, Mm. that I'd missed that opportunity. Uh, You know, I was still madly in love with print and, you know, I was showing up at a supermarket or in a news agents looking for magazines that, that spoke to me. And then suddenly I was invited to be a guest speaker at a really big conference in Echuca, Moama for women in business. And, you know, I was offered a um, spot in the gift bag as well. So suddenly I had all these little puzzle pieces and it really was sitting on the couch and just saying, you know, to my husband, oh, God, I just I wish I could do like a mag, like a mini mag or something. And like, you know, his response was and, and usually always is, to be honest, is well, why don't you do it? Why don't you try it? What's the worst that can happen? And so, um, you know, six weeks out, I pitched it to the event coordinator and said, you know, look, is it possible, you know, for me to put a mini mag all about women in business? And um, her name was Cindy and Cindy said, yeah, of course. Uh, You know, by the way, here's a list of names if you wanted some story ideas. And that is really how it started. So I'd allocated um, my like speaking fee mm. to go towards the printing. I got a couple of advertisers. I worked on branding. Like it literally and had to come together in six weeks. And I'll admit at week three, I was like rolling around on the carpet going, oh my God, what have I done? <laughs> you know? And I think if I didn't have that deadline, if I hadn't committed and, and put it out to the universe that, you know, I'm going to launch a magazine, I don't think I would have done it. Like it was a pretty big bite to take. And um, yeah, I suppose like, you know, what do you do? You push forward. You just keep on going, um, you know, until I suppose you reach the end. And look, to be honest, I was actually really lucky to have help. So it came to the front cover and, um, you know, our mutual friend, uh, Michelle from Ginger House Photography, is obviously a photographer. So at school peak up, I said to Michelle, you know, could I borrow your flash? And, um, you know, after a few questions, I think she could see I was out of my depth. And she said, look, I'd actually be really interested in taking a photo for you. And I thought, oh, that's awesome. So Michelle took the front cover as well as some adverts in the mag as well. You know, I'm forever grateful for Michelle for helping me out that day because God knows what that front cover could have looked like. (laughs) And you're all about collaboration and I think that big step with you and Michelle has produced some wonderful things in Oak Magazine and I've heard you two say before that you're the words and she's the photos. Yes. Can you tell me more about that collaboration and not not necessarily just with Michelle but collaborating with With other other people? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So with Michelle, you're right, we've we've done a lot in terms of the photo aspect. So working on the magazine and, um, you know, with the other business, there'd be clients that needed photos for their business. So I'd say, well, Michelle's great. So it's just that referral network that you've started to build up, which is really important. Um, you know, and then it, um, I was obviously still delivering social media workshops and I said, you know, we could bring along a photographer and, you know, show people how to do flat lay. And it's so interesting because I know Michelle, that was something that she wanted to do was share her knowledge but didn't know how to go about it. So sometimes it's about being that conduit for them and helping them along that little path and saying, well, come with me because that's what I know how to do. I know how to deliver a workshop and and what's required of it. I just don't have your skills. I don't have your knowledge. So you bring that with you and together 
look what we can do. In terms of working with other people, it just comes around organically sometimes. Um, but I, I love working with people. Yeah, I love seeing what we can do together. You know, how can I help them amplify their product by using the platform I have or maybe the skills that I have in um, publishing or social media and together see them celebrated. So you're at edition eight now. Yes. There's been lots of amazing stories about mm. amazing women in yes. Oak Magazine. Where do your story inspirations come from? Uh, a lot through social media. We're connected all the time, aren't we? So it is scrolling through and, and um, probably it's the ones that really share that little bit of their story, I think. You know, a little bit more honest on social. A lot of it, though, um, in the beginning, definitely was word of mouth. So you'd interview one person and then they'd say, oh, you need to meet my friend, such and such. And that's how it started to work in, in the early days where I had no really... I suppose, credit to sit on with the mag. Um, it was really early, really fresh. And now by issue eight, you know, we're starting to gain some credibility, a bit of popularity that people are coming to Oak, you know, to share their stories. So that actually is even harder, I think, because, um, yeah, unfortunately we don't have enough pages to share everyone's story. And, yeah, there's hard decisions that need to be made. So it's about finding another way that we can help each other so is that a podcast episode um you know is it a social media shout out you know what can we do so eight editions what have you learned what have you learned about yourself what have you learned about women in business what have you learned about regional and rural across from edition one to edition eight in the three years of oak i have learned so much marty especially about myself mm. um you know of who i am and what I stand for, for me, that's been a, a really important process and, I don't know, almost a transformative experience, to be honest. I feel like I'm a better person because of the people that I've met through Oak. Like, I've just been so lucky. And, you know, in terms of people, I've just learnt that that us, you know, being women, like, we actually all share the same struggles and fears. Mm. You know, we're so worried about what people think. We work so hard at pleasing other people rather than putting ourselves first. You know, we're scared that no one will buy our products. Like we don't want to quit because, you know, we don't want to look like a failure. But really, people are actually watching us in business and wanting to be, be as brave or courageous or, you know, as successful by putting in that hard work. And I suppose there isn't really failing either mm. and that's something that I've, I'm getting more comfortable with too, you know, that you've got to just let go of what doesn't light you up and that's what I've really done with that first business, Right Style Communications. It doesn't make me jump out of bed in the morning. It's not something that I just dream about every moment, which is what I do with Oak. Like I just want to work on it all the time and, you know, have all these ideas that I, that I want to sort of bring to life. And I suppose the thing is that when you let things go, it's not failing. In some instances, it's actually really smart business decisions. So, yeah, I think we just have to be more comfortable with that and reframe the way we look at failure. My biggest struggle is definitely cash flow. Mm. Um, look, if I don't have advertisers locked in for an upcoming issue, I find it so hard to, you know, pursue any stories 
or think creatively. Like it's just this blocker. And um, yeah, I'd really like to work on overcoming that. I've learnt also that people do love print magazines, that print isn't dead. And interestingly, just before I launched the mag, obviously there wasn't a real lot of lead time, but I still asked a small group of friends like, you know, do you still read print magazines? Would you be interested in one? And literally, I reckon 99% of them said no, Um, you know, just do a digital mag. And I just pretty much went, oh, bugger that. Like I, you know, I'm not a digital mag lover. I love print. I love the tangible product and how it looks on a coffee table and and all of those things and, and the feeling that you get by sitting down and reading it. And the lesson there is that, you know, yes, it's important to test a product sometimes before you go to market, but make sure that you're actually talking to the right audience. In terms of regional and rural though, my gosh, you just, you have to give credit to the Buy From The Bush campaign. Mm. I mean, that has been phenomenal in putting so many Bush businesses in front of a national audience. And I think through that, you know, the spotlights are finally shining a little brighter as well on women-led businesses, Mm. which, you know, is such a benefit for us all, both economically and, you know, personally as a a gender. Um, But yeah, look, there's just something about print, you know, there's something about seeing your byline or your photo um, or your story featured in a tangible product that, you know, ends up becoming a keepsake, you know, something that you can look back at with pride. Um, Yeah, I just, I don't know, I love oak. And oak to you is like a baby. Like we hear about, you know, oh, the magazine should be delivered tomorrow. (laughs) And then the boxes come and you talk about the unboxing, getting your hands on that first edition. How does that feel? How does... Yeah, mixture of nerves and excitement. But yeah, it's an amazing feeling. And sometimes I I still actually don't think it's sunk in that I publish a magazine. Mm. Um, Publish, write, layout, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. And maybe that's a thing. I don't know how I do it. So, you know, maybe that's why it's hard to to go, wow, I created that. Have Um, you, have you ever nearly given up? Yeah, probably every issue. (laughs) Um, So why haven't you? What what has stopped you from saying, nah, that's it, the financial strain's too much, the time pressure's too much, I'm not doing it. What has stopped you from coming to that point? Because I love it and I'll always find a way. And I just remember back to my beautiful friend and mentor, Brikita, who said to me once, um, we were talking about, you know, throwing the pin in sort of thing. And she said, if you're looking for ways to still make it happen, it's not time yet. And I suppose that's a thing. I'm always looking at a way that, um, you know, I can pivot and and make something happen. So whether that's, you know, creating another revenue stream off the side that supports it or creating the directory where people can list their businesses online. Um, So something outside that print-based article. Yeah, that's what keeps me going. And I think it's really important that as business owners, we connect with other people in what we're doing face-to-face, one-on-one time. I've recently done that with Natalie from Words on a Page. Um, You know, it was just looking at a grant application admittedly, but just to have her pull out 
certain parts and acknowledge how important the magazine is in the biggest scheme of things. And it's all you. It's Yeah, but that feels uncomfortable, Mark. Yeah, but it is. Like you talk about Oak Magazine and Mm. it's you. Yeah, yeah. You have to take pride in that. You do, yes. How come it's so hard to do that though, isn't it? It is, yeah. but you're so good at building up others and that collaboration. But the leadership that you show is remarkable. And does this come back to the fact that in a workplace, you know, you just don't get recognised for that, mm. you know? So you've been in a workplace where you get the weekly check yeah, and you've run your own businesses, which yep. you're doing now. What are the pros and cons of each? Of each, yeah, definitely that cash flow. Mm. That is the biggest hurdle. I really do think, um, and I'll admit, COVID's been great with JobKeeper because there's been regular cash flow. So suddenly I can get on top of some things that, you know, I was starting to drown under um, because I've got this regular money coming in on a set date that I can work with. And although it's less than what I would have been getting if the mag had been up and running. So we've only produced one issue this year, you know, and then all my in-person workshops were all cancelled at the end of March. Like that was a massive part of my income this year. Um, So despite earning less because the money's coming in more regularly, being able to get on top of things, it's remarkable cash flow. Uh, So I think if you can manage that, that makes owning your own business amazing. There's flexibility in it. So, of course, having kids, it is easier to work around them. You know, um, you'll put in some early mornings or late nights, but at the end of the day, it's self-fulfilling. And I think that's important as well. So, Oak lights me up, you know. Um, My other business, it doesn't make me jump out of bed in the morning anymore. And so, it has to go. Like, it really does because that is no good for anyone. Yes, it's no good for me wasting my energy in something that I don't enjoy, but it's no good for my clients either because I'm not giving them 100% of what they expect and, yeah, what they deserve. Uh, But then in terms of working in a business, there's camaraderie. There is being able to work as a group and bounce off people. Um, I've never... It sort of climbed where I wanted to Mm. in a corporate ladder. But I own my own business. At the end of the day, I can give myself any title I want. CEO, boss, you name it. (laughs) But, you know, not having a piece of paper that recognises that I've studied journalism or, uh, you know, that sort of stuff. And then not having a specific job title on my LinkedIn are two things that just bug the life out of me and make me feel less accomplished than probably what I am. Why is a piece of paper so important? I don't know. It's just one of those things, isn't it? You look at a job and one of the requirements is, you know, that you have a, you know, diploma in X, Y, Z. And you just think, yeah, I, I didn't do that. I made a choice to go straight into working in a newsroom um, rather than go to uni, you know. that's And I had that decision in my head since year 10. You know, I didn't have any 
inclination to go to uni and um you know so I didn't really try in year 12 to be honest because I thought well I'm not going to uni I don't have to worry about that but if you were looking to hire someone what would you be looking for yeah I'd look at skill set 100 percent yeah but I know that not everyone is like me (laughs) would look at that they'd look at that piece of paper and sometimes when you have a HR department that's going through all these applications if one of the requirements is the piece of paper and you don't have it there you yeah your application that's an easy way to cull so what advice would you give to women then that are applying for jobs and feeling like they've got the skill set they don't have the piece of paper what advice would you give them Uh, relationship building so getting to know that business making sure you've developed some sort of connection in there before going in maybe talk about the fact that your experience is far greater than the piece of paper in a sense so really talk about those but it's hard yeah we're told you need to go to uni Mm. and get a piece of paper it's interesting that when I asked you, why do you feel that way? It's a lot of self-doubt and you yeah. know, talk and stuff. But when I say, what would you advise someone else? It's all really positive. No, things it's that easy you to can... tell. <laughs> it's easy to tell other people what to do. Um, and I know that myself already. Mm. Like I know that about myself. Um, I can very easily say, well, no, this is what you need to be doing. Um, whereas for me, so hard to take on my own advice. I just... <laughs> I've got that other little voice that just niggles at me. Change of pace. Oak Magazine is named after one of your children. Yeah, it's named after our littlest, Oakley. But you have four children. I do. What are the thoughts of the other three (laughs) that the fourth one has a magazine named after? The fourth one's so cute though. (laughs) (laughs) She's our baby. Um, They're all right with it. Yeah, they're all right with it. How did the name come about? Um, it was sitting down with a friend, her name's Beck, and she writes a few articles for the magazine as well. Um, yeah, so she happened to be over and I said, oh, you know, I've decided to launch a magazine. She was okay. I said, as you do. Yeah, exactly. I need a name for it and I probably need to lock that name in today. Um, she, you know, she, we're just sort of, as they say, spitballing some ideas and I sort of said, well, what about Oak? And, you know, she's on the computer, had a look. She goes, well, actually, Oak is revered as a storehouse of wisdom. So there's all these little things. I'm like, ooh, this, this feels right. And, of course, you know, there's Oakley. So, I mean, there's that little bit of Oakley in it. But to be honest, it's, it's more than that. Yeah. yeah. Let's see if the other three believe that when they get a oh, bit I older. I know, and- <laughs> I know. But I must admit, Oakley, she, um, she's not that impressed by having her name on a magazine, to be honest. Yeah. She, she just ha- hates hearing it all the time. She will be one day. Family balance, like four kids, that's a busy life. Um, but you managed to do it. We were in Rosebud a few years ago, um, four families that we're mates with. And during the day, you were so engaged with the kids your kids our kids and you are present with them and you make sure that when you are with them you are present and we came home kids went to bed you sat at the table and worked how how do you maintain that family work balance and stay sane yeah stay sane um I would say that having a bigger family has actually been easier than having just the two they all sort of look after each other. There's always 
someone to entertain you. Uh, so I think that definitely helps. So it's not my advice for you to go and have more kids. <laughs> if this is too hard, let's have another two babies. Um, but in terms of finding that balance, it's not just me. And I think that's the important part that there is a second half and that's David. And my gosh, he has such a hands-on role and has from the very start. And that has what that is what has made having a family and having kids with him so much easier. There's a photo from an oak launch of your nan, Beryl, and your mum and you and your eldest daughter, Akiva. I just think that's just a beautiful photo of four generations of women. Yeah. How do you feel when you look at that four generations? Uh, I know that photo well. I love that photo. It's actually in this issue um, of Oak. And um, I posted it for International Women's Day and spoke to the point that Pitchard is four generations of my family, four fiercely independent, strong-willed and vocal women. So, yes, I think Akiva is going to be exactly like me, just for the record. <laughs> Good. Yep. Yet, generationally, none of us have stepped out onto a level playing field. You must feel proud then that Akiva is going to look at that photo and have and look at your legacy of Oak Magazine and the amazing things that you've done, the creativity that you've shown, and that she's going to look at that and take pride in that but also that that will give her confidence in whatever she wants to do moving forward yeah I hope so um you know it's those little conversations that you have at the tea table isn't it how was your day you know this has happened um you know someone did this why can't I and you know it's pointing out well no boys and girls can do that boys can wear pink it's fine for them to wear pink if that's their favorite color great Sorry, what did you want to do? You wanted to be a pilot. That's fine. Women can be pilots now. Yeah, I suppose I don't want her to have to come and ask permission to do something, but feel that she can, like, you know, can go out and do whatever you want. Yeah. We yeah. can. There's definitely some hurdles there and there'll always be people with opinions. Um, you've just got to, you know, have a thick skin, shake it off and keep pushing forward. Yeah. Nearly there. Last one. 2020, what a shitstorm. Coronavirus, remote learning, having to look at different ways to run your business, plans out the window, lots of new ideas have come in. What positives have come out of 2020 for you? Well, my big pivot was launching the podcast, which has been embraced by so many people. And I've also been able to crack into the top 20 charts on Apple, which is a bit mind blowing. Um, you know, I think more importantly, it kept me sane during those two lockdowns. Mm. Like that was my creative outlet. So I wasn't writing stories or publishing the magazine, but I at least had this to really sink my teeth into and, and to work on in the background. Um, I launched an online training course which teaches women in business how to use Instagram. And again, that, that is something that I fought against for so long with my workshops. Like I just didn't want to lose that in-person opportunity, I suppose. And, and COVID really forced me to bring that online. But what I've learned is that even through that online training course, I'm still able to connect and there is still this whole new community and in fact, I've actually reached more people across so many other states 
than what I ever would have been able to do with in person. So, you know, that has been a really interesting learning curve for me. Um, But I suppose the important thing is that you actually have to stop and celebrate these milestones because, I don't know, otherwise it's hard to see how much you've improved or, yeah, the change that you've actually made. So someone sitting at home listening to this or in their car on their way to work or wherever they're listening to this brilliant podcast and they're wanting to take that step, they're creative, they're passionate like you, they're worried about the risks but they want to go from working for someone else to starting their own business, what would you say to them? Risk is interesting. Um, I probably don't put risk very high on my my radar, which may be why I, I'm very decisive with things and I jump before I actually know what's below me. Uh, look, if you do have a job, try and maybe keep your foot in that door and do it on the side. And yes, that is going to mean a lot more hard work living in those two worlds. But, you know, just having that regular income will make you feel safe. It really will. At the same time, you're never going to give that business 100% until you step fully into it. So invest in a good accountant, um, you know, and then when you step fully into it, make sure you've got those processes. Always build your community. So whether that's online, but also make sure you're building that email database because you never know what happens to social media. It could just go poof one day and disappear. <laughs> um, you know, you've yeah, you own that list at least. Um yeah, so that would be my advice is just to maybe keep that foot back in that safety of a job. Otherwise, if you do have, you know, I suppose it depends on your financial situation, doesn't it? But, you know, if you've got one solid income coming in all the time, jump, see what happens, throw yourself in hard for, you know, however many months to build it up. If it doesn't work, who cares? And don't just, wait for that door to be open. No. Go knock on the door and open yep, it yourself. Yeah, exactly. And there's a point in business that I think you need to get comfortable with and that is asking people for help, asking them to share your content, asking your friends to celebrate your wins on social media. You actually can't do it on your own. You're going to have to bring them in to help you. And those that won't help, to be honest, they're a waste of your energy. So start looking... And, that's the beautiful thing with Oak. I finally found my community. Yeah. <laughs> I finally found where I fit in and found people that will support what Oak does. You haven't found that. You've created that, Kimberly. No, I don't know. <laughs> you have. You have created that. Your uh, passion, your strength, your commitment, your resilience, all of those words that we spoke about, your decisiveness, you know, you have created that yeah. and from the listeners and the readers we thank you for being you and for being unapologetic in being you you make a difference you are a role model to us and to the next generation and you know to steal your line I am going to thank you for being a friend of mine it means absolutely everything oh thank you Marty you've been a wonderful host (laughs) (laughs) thank you thank you you're welcome Now, before you take off with all that inspiration and knowledge, we'd love for you to leave a review on our podcast so that we can continue to amplify women's voices in the media. And if you have any questions, we'd like to celebrate a win. You can always connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at Oak Magazine AU. I'm so glad we've met and that now you know a friend of mine.